0: Well, it's good to be here with you again today. Did you all have a good day? There's some that are going to buy into that one, so good. We're glad for that. Uh, Are you looking forward to a good evening this evening? Okay, good. I am too. Uh, It's been a good day for us. I might uh, mention it later. We appreciate the hospitality that you're showing with us, uh, toward us. And they're blessed by that, and it's good to uh, get to know the Gladys community, the Bethel Church, a little bit better uh, over these times. I got to ride with Milo several rounds on the tractor today, uh, had a nice time with Leon and his wife, and uh, this evening we got to be with uh, Sister Wendy, and I had a nice time of, of fellowship there. The church. We've been talking about the church these evenings, and uh, we want to continue that study. And This evening we're looking at the church as God's family, uh, the church is a united family. There's different ways that we could title it probably, uh, but we're continuing the study about the church. It's interesting that John was wondering about some different metaphors, and if we were doing this in a more modern time, I think there's other metaphors that would work well. A hospital is a fairly common one that we think of. Uh, think of uh, a nursery, a greenhouse. I think uh, in many ways that would be applicable. And, uh, Delvin, you could relate to some of those things. Do you grow bedding plants too, or just okay? Uh, but uh, preparation for people to be out in the world, or a hospital to hurt, save those or to, to heal those people who are hurting. Those kinds of things, um, as with uh, many things in Scripture, there's different ways that you could take that would be scriptural, scriptural, and that would be applicable. Uh, but I have chosen basically to concentrate on things that uh, are fairly easily sifted out of the uh, out of the Scriptures where it talks about the about the church. Well, the church is God's family this evening. In the beginning, God created the world. He created a perfect environment. Plants and animals thrived in that perfect environment. I ponder sometimes and just think to how things might have been in the Garden of Eden and how beautiful that was, how peaceful the lack of conflict. Uh, there's just so many ways that we can describe it and just go on and on and on. And I don't know what the most the, the, the highlights were of the of the Garden of Eden because it was also good. It was perfect, it was peaceful. Plants and animals thrived in that perfect environment, but the crowning glory of God's creation was not the plants and animals. What was the crowning glory of God's creation? What happened on the sixth day? Yes, Vincent. God created man. What did he say about that creation of man? It was it was very good, but also he created man in in his image, okay. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. So here we have the establishment of the first family. Is that taking a shortcut to say that? The establishment of the first family. The family was a perfect creation by a perfect God. This evening... As we have in other evenings, we want to look at the family in a spiritual sense and as the family as uh, the church. You know, the Bible refers much to the concept of God's people of being family. We speak of brothers and sisters in God's family. We say brother Leon, uh, sister Judy, uh, those kinds of things. In the model prayer, how does Jesus teach us to begin that prayer? What's the second word in that model prayer? Our Father who art in heaven. Again, a a title pertaining to family. All of us are a part of an earthly family. We didn't just show up one day like Adam did in the Garden of Eden. We are a part of a family. We can relate to being a family. Well, let's just to kind of get ourselves kicked off here tonight, uh, let's think about some earthly families, okay? How would you describe an ideal family or what are typical components in in a traditional family that we think of here in Gladys, Virginia? Usually there's a father. What else? Usually a father, a mother, and children. And there can be a variation of that. Occasionally there's a single parent with children, or there's a couple that haven't been been blessed with children, maybe. And what are some of the characteristics of a well-ordered family? What do we tend to think of if we're thinking of a well-ordered family? What about the parents' relationship to each other? Parents that love each other, Delvin, Barbara, okay? Uh, Children that honor, love their parents, parents that love their children, everybody that loves each other, and I will say this, this is not universal. Universal. But many of us, many of us have been privileged to grow up in two-parent families, in traditional-type settings, and it's a blessing that a lot of the world cannot take for granted today, and it's, it's a tremendous blessing. We have a, a man teaching in our uh, Christian school, in our community. He was an art teacher, and he taught in a public school system, actually, in the town that, where is our local address, uh, high school classes, I think. And he basically retired from that. He's a Christian man, not a Mennonite. And uh, we were looking for for an art teacher. And so he came on, and he's talked about the difference with dealing with, basically, children that are coming from solid families, those kinds of things. We have a tremendous blessing, and we take it for granted in many cases. Okay. (sighs) So how does one go about to become one of God's children? Okay, we're talking about a heavenly family here now. So how is how is someone going to become a part of that family? The first point is I'd like to talk about how we join are joining God's family. How many of you are parents and have children? Okay, very good. Good to see that. You know, there's something beautiful or something exciting about the birth of a brand new baby. Judy and I were married almost 10 years before we had our first child. Uh, our medical history, uh, there's numerous miscarriages and those kinds of things before God uh, finally saw fit uh, through a series of events, well, in his intervention, I'm not sure what all, uh, that we had our first daughter. God designed man and woman in such wonderful ways. God designed the woman to carry the unborn baby. During the time of gestation, this new life, still not born, is developing. In the first few weeks of pregnancy, the growth is almost imperceptible. The parents may not be aware that anything is happening. They may not even realize it. But with the passing of time, there's this kind of a, a, a sense that something is going on and then a, a, a trip to the doctor or the, there can be confirmation through a test, <clears throat> the presence of a new life. Now, this life is not born yet. This life is not ready to exist on the outside. But for the parents who are looking forward to having children, this is a real exciting time. This is a, yeah, an exciting time. You know, each passing month during that time brings new changes. The baby is growing. It's still not ready to be born. It's not ready to live on the outside. The months pass. The anticipation grows. Finally, the time of the birth comes. Oh, well, I remember that night when my wife informed me that uh, she thinks her time has come. Well, after making some preparations, we went to the hospital. And uh, those of you first-time mothers can probably well relate. Uh, It wasn't over with the snap of a finger. (laughs) There were some very long and some very difficult hours that passed. But finally, our daughter was born. Our faith had become sight. The thing that we had anticipated for so long was now reality, the baby had a brand new start in life. The baby was born. It was a new beginning for this child. All things were now new. Well, we all rode off into the sunset and lived happily ever after. Is that how it works in Virginia? What do you think, doctor? It's not quite that simple, is it? (laughs) That wasn't the end of the story. Now we had this new baby to take care of. You know, in those early days, those babies are really quite helpless. They eat, they cry, they sleep, they mess their diapers. Life's a pretty predictable cycle of, of, of activities. You know, the wife, or the, the life of my wife, not a tongue twister, was nearly consumed with the carrying of her daughter. And Judy would worry is the baby getting enough to eat? Why is the baby crying? Is it because she's hungry? Is she wet? Does she have a stomach ache? Could it be an ear infection? And the baby was not wanting for attention, was not lacking attention. Her mother and her father were very interested and concerned that she progress in a good and a healthy manner. Aunts, uncles, grandparents showed a great deal of interest. You know, there's a lot of parallels in the life, the the birth, the development of a natural child and of a spiritual child in God's family. In a very real sense, it is the birth that cements that child into the family in which he becomes a part of, into which he was born. You know, in John 3, we have that familiar story where Nicodemus came to Jesus by night, I don't know for sure, but I assume that Jesus or Nicodemus came to Jesus by night because he didn't want to be seen but with Jesus during the day. And uh, him being a, apparently a prominent man in the Jewish uh, uh, circles, uh, but Nicodemus had apparently been watching from a, from outside, saying, "You know what? There's something about that man." He came to Jesus, and how does it say in uh, the King James, uh, it's escaping me there, but uh, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Or Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You know, I think Nicodemus came and he wanted to have these things clarified. And then Jesus answered him like that. And it was sort of like, boy, this isn't getting any clearer. This isn't, isn't, isn't cleaning up for me here. You must be born again. This sounds like some kind of a, of a deal. It was like he was puzzled. What was Jesus talking about here? Could a grown man enter again into his mother's womb and be born? Sounds complicated. Sounds unlikely. And I don't think uh, Nicodemus obviously was getting the direction the track or the tack that Jesus was, was sharing with him. Well, Jesus wasn't talking about a second natural birth. He was talking about a supernatural birth. A new spiritual birth, a brand new start. This was not the birth to earthly parents, but a birth into the heavenly family. And what a beautiful concept that is. It's that family where God himself is father. And under that new fatherhood, there's a brand new set of goals, a whole new family. New brothers and sisters, a new way of living, a new set of values, a new world view, a new destination, a new inheritance, a looking forward to eternal life. It's the new birth that gains us entrance into this family of God. Into this family. Peter speaks of the new birth as a start from incorruptible seed. I was trying to think how incorruptible, what is that? I mean, it's something that doesn't, it can't be. You know, we talk about a corrupted file on your computer or whatever. What is a uh, incorruptible seed? Do you have any ideas on that? It's pure. It's not able to be defaced or scuffed up or messed up, uh, incorruptible seed. Let's just read what it says in verse 23 of chapter 1 of 1 Peter. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. You know, our natural birth to our daughter, those many years ago, was an entrance into the earthly the temporal life, into the family of Lowell and Judy Miller. But it's the new birth that gives us entrance into the heavenly, eternal life. To enter into the new life, Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. The message is still for us today. If we would enter God's family, we enter by being born again into that family. All of us that are here tonight have been born into some earthly family. We have a birthday that we can uh, backdate however many years. Tomorrow there's a young lady that's going to have her 10th birthday. Is she here tonight? Maybe not. I think I I met someone. that. Oh, there we go. Remind us. Maybe we can sing happy birthday for you. I don't know. And some of us have birthdays that uh, predate that 10 years by quite a little bit. Uh, But we don't want to embarrass any of us on some of those kinds of things, so we'll keep the conversation moving forward. you know it was exciting when our daughter was born when she was finally there and that birth that physical birth was important because that was what was the official entrance into our family what is it that qualifies us in, in that chapter there in John 3. What is it that makes us, uh, what makes this transaction uh, possible? Or, or how did it come about? Or how was this, this offered to us? John 3.16, for God so loved the world, later in that same discourse, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but should have everlasting life. By that, you could be entered in. You know, our daughter being born was exciting, but that was but a very small step in a much longer process to where she is today. You know, I've done numerous jobs for an older couple that lives in our community, And uh, over the course of time, the lady is the one that often does the negotiating. Hey, Lowell, this is Wendy, by the way, she says. (laughs) That's her name. And uh, I was wondering if you could come over. I'd like for you to look at so-and-so and -and -and so-and-so, a construction project typically. I think one of the last times I was there, I was figuring up Lowell, I think you've done eight projects for us now or something like that. So we know each other fairly well. And uh, over a course of time, you kind of get to know people on, you know, on other, other levels and just, you know, what kind of soffit you want to put on? Or are you looking at replacing the windows or what do you want to do here? Those kinds of things. And uh, we discussed different things. They would often have been on our list when we went around Christmas caroling at Christmas time. And uh, we would discuss things even like religion and Christianity and in one conversation she spoke of an earlier time of being active and being plugged into a church. But since Richard and I are married, she hasn't been so much or so active. She seemed a bit wistful about her children. And yeah, they're all saved and baptized, but I gathered not really plugged into any churches or really connected, possibly. Uh in an ongoing way I have another acquaintance uh, she idealizes evangelism and in many ways I can be supportive of of some of her initiatives I think maybe she had a little trouble functioning well I don't know I, I, I'm that's judgmental she has a, a burden for the lost and she will travel sometimes she's included uh, traveled to places like Nicaragua where I would have been familiar with and uh, when she comes around, I mean, when we chance to meet, which may be once a year or something like that, you know, how's it going, Lowell, or where have you been, or whatever? And uh, yeah, Pat, uh, and she'll talk about some trip she took somewhere or whatever. But it wouldn't be unusual for her to ask me, "Were there a lot of people saved on on my trip, or whatever the situation was?" And uh, those. Both of those situations are kind of leading me to a a question, and I think something that even sometimes as conservative Anabaptists we struggle with. The new birth is important, but it's not the end of the story. Parents are excited about the arrival of a new baby, and rightly so. Those baby milestones, they're noted, they're cheered. You know, the time that the baby first smiled, and the baby, the time that the baby slept through the for the first night, through the whole night, uh, when the baby rolled over by itself, when the baby sat up all by itself, maybe at ten months the baby is starting to pull itself up along furniture, and maybe pretty soon taking a few faltering steps along the furniture, and maybe with time, uh, actually starting to walk and forget themselves and turn loose of the couch on the way to the coffee table. And there was two or three first steps. Hey, did you see that? You know, did you get ready to write it in the the baby book or whatever? Is that what you do? Okay. Anyway, uh, all of these different things that have happened after the child was born, The parents are blessed. They're almost shocked as they realize how much their child has changed in the first year of life. Do you know what? That child still probably misses his diaper, still cries a lot, probably is not too steady on his feet if he is walking, has horrible table manners, uh, can be sweet and charming and smiling one minute, The next minute be throwing a fit and shoving the food out on the floor off the top of his uh, his, uh, his, uh, tray on his high chair. He may know a few words, but he's still very much a baby. You know, it's remarkable what that baby can do at one year of age. Some of you that were here the first nights, uh, Judy and I are kind of new grandparents. We have two grandbabies that were, uh, that are just uh, had their first birthdays now. Up until that time before they were born, I guess we were what perfectly good grandparents going to waste. Anyway, uh, so uh, we've been enjoying that, uh, that being grandparents now. You know, it's remarkable what that baby can do at 12 months. But if 30 years later, that's all that baby could do. We would be extremely concerned. And rightly so. We'd say there's something that's drastically wrong for that child. has stopped developing. The new birth is important. It's super important. But it's but the first step in a series of events that should continue. So that person... Uh, is, is progressing in his life. The letter to the Hebrews talks of people that should by now be teachers, and they're still on the bottle almost. It's, they should be eating meat, and they're, uh, they're still drinking milk. Joining God's family. What is it that qualifies us to be God's children in the beginning. 1 John 3, verse 1 It's the Father's love that qualifies us to be his children. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope purifies himself, even as he is pure. It's God's love that qualifies us to be his children. It's not things that we can conjure of ourselves. It's not something that we earned uh, that that qualifies us to be his children. It's God's, it's God's love. It's not like you delve in going out to your a cow herd, and you're picking out heifers that you want to keep back. That one's good enough there. Or if you're on the dairy, I really want to have one with that pedigree here. Like there's some that are good enough, and there's some that just aren't good enough, and so you'll need to sell them. It's not that we as humans are good enough. Yeah, I'd like to keep that one. I think he would help me out quite a bit in my program. It's the Father's love. And another one that he would say, ah, oh, that's a bad guy. I don't want anything to do with him. What does Romans 3.23 say? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. None of us are good enough to, on our own to merit salvation. Men may try by their good works, Paul tells us in Titus 3.5, does someone know, uh, can someone quote that? It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy that he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. We are sinners by nature. We can never be good enough to earn our salvation. Bad news, but that's how it is. Our works will never bridge the gap in that chasm that's separating sinful man from a holy God. It's God's love that spans the gap and qualifies us to be called sons and daughters. Romans 5.8, can anyone quote that? But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It is us accepting that love that qualifies us to be sons and daughters, that qualifies us to be a part of that family, that precious family of God. And what a privilege that is. 1 John 3, verse 2, Beloved, now are, ye, are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him. As he is. It's the Father's love that qualifies us to be his sons and daughters. And that's a precious concept because that's nothing that we did during. It's that love that he extends to us to invite us to be a part of his family, to invite us to be his sons and daughters. What a precious privilege that is. Moving on to the next point. Children take on their father's characteristics. You know, let's go back to that illustration of that natural birth, okay? So the baby is here now. And the baby has arrived. There's great excitement, especially among the close relatives. And what happens when the relatives get together, the aunties and uncles and the grandpas and grandmas, when they see that baby? What do you think, Mary Sue? What is one of the first orders of business? See who they look like. (laughs) Is this going to be a Zare? Is this going to be a Yoder? You know what I mean? And, uh, oh, these aunties and whoever can be very analytical. Mm, That hair looks just like her mother's hair did when she was little. But look at those eyes. They must have come from daddy's side of the family. Oh, the poor fella. I think that nose looks like it came off his daddy's face. <laughs> whatever the situation is. Those ears or those whatever. My oh, boy, look how solid he is. That definitely came from his daddy's side of the family. Those kinds of things. You need to figure out who this baby resembles. You're spot on, Mary Sue. <laughs> uh, and as the child grows, it's interesting to watch that child develop. People may say, my, when he talks, he talks just like his daddy. Or when he moves his hands, there's just something about that gesture. I can just see his dad doing just exactly that thing. I don't know. Those kinds of things. When he walks, he walks just like his daddy. You know, those comparisons, at least depending on if the uh, mama or daddy have a reasonably uh, healthy self-esteem, that can cause just a little bit of pride. They're saying, Milo, that my boy over there is acting a lot like I did when I was young, you know, if they're talking about you. You know, and it is a blessing to see your grown children starting to tackle man-sized assignments and responsibilities and doing well with it. Your son's up there leading songs, and you think, you know what? He's doing better than I ever would have. Blessings, brother. You know, uh, there's a certain familial pride, or can be, I mean, in in kind of a Christian Anabaptist sense, in seeing your children that are coming along and are... are, uh, living out some of the values that you tried to live out or maybe carrying out some of the character qualities that you feel that that has been God's call on your life those kinds of things and there's a blessing in that but as children of God we have the privilege of bearing the image of our Father. Oh, that people would say about us, these people are different. There's something special about them, and rightly so. They look and act like their father. We just got back from a fairly extensive trip uh, internationally, and uh, Judy with her veiled head and a white veil, I think she was probably occasionally... uh, confused with maybe a Catholic nun or something like that. I don't know how they reconciled this guy this nun was hanging around with, but whatever that was. Uh, but it was, it was like there was a certain amount of deference, and I think there was a uh, safety that they saw. They connected her with religion, with God, with whatever. And uh, there was different opportunities, I think, Uh, Judy has, I might talk about this tomorrow evening. Judy has a nice, warm personality. I can go through an airport, in an airplane, and I can kind of mind my business and go about my business. And uh, if someone's talking to Judy over there, they just kind of struck her up. And I think that is actually a fairly good example of how we should be when we have been with Jesus. You know, there in Acts 4, People looked at Peter and John. It was like, you know what? There's something going on here. How does it say in the King James? And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus as newborn babies in the family of God. Hopefully, people would begin to identify the characteristics of the Heavenly Father in us. We've looked at that in a theoretical sense. What does it mean in in practical terms? What does it mean in practical terms to take on the characteristics of the Father of our new family? You know, our natural children, at least in Kansas, they're born with a carnal sin nature. You have any of that going on here in Virginia, too? Okay, I figured you might. Children tend to be selfish with their toys. Oh, there's some of those things that are almost hilarious, the stories that kind of get told at the family reunions, like the one one child who met his cousin at the door or her cousin and flopped on his toys and said, No, no, no. (laughs) just kind of a little uh, preemptive uh, uh, recommendation on how these things were going to go today, that kind of thing. You know, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus lines out in practical ways many things that can be different for the people that are now naming him, naming the God as their father. Jesus tells his followers to give to those who ask. If someone takes your coat, give him your cloak as well. To go two miles with him that requests your company for one mile. Children tend to strike back when others are fighting with them. Jesus tells his followers to turn the other cheek. Natural children and natural adults. Tend to love those who love them and feel badly toward those who feel badly toward them. Jesus told his followers to love their enemies. In fairly simple terms, Christ's message here seems to, to be live sacrificially, to submit gladly, to not demand our rights, but to live a life of sacrifice. How are our lives today? Do they show? the world around us, that we've been born into, that we are a part of a different family? Have we taken on the characteristics of that Heavenly Father, of that Heavenly family? You know, there are some people, I, I'm just, I stand amazed at how they are in uh, relating to people. There's just something so gentle and so pure and so unmistakable. And so clear about how they relate to others. And what a beautiful thing that is. Moving on. Life is different for one who has entered into God's family. And one is the relationship that we have with our Father. You know what? This has been a nice day. And when we are outside in nice, fresh air, sometimes it's hard to stay really crisp and fresh in an evening service when everything gets really quiet and comfortable. Let's all stand and let's read uh, several verses here from Romans verse, uh, Romans 8, verse 15. Romans 8, verse 15, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Have a Father. The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. How many of you use uh, those, the next to last word in the King James in Romans 8, verse 15, typically? Abba. Abba. Do you use that regular name? Richard? Ricky? No. Randy? No. Uh, Well, let's talk about that a little bit. Paul uses the term Abba Father to describe our Heavenly Father. In English, we use the term Father, right? Okay. Did you call your Father, I mean, your. Your mom's husband, what did you call him? Daddy. Okay. What was that kind of the, the go to here? Do you call your your your, uh, your mom's husband daddy? Dad? Okay. We called our dad dad, I think typically growing up. That's fine. There's not I'm not saying this that there's a right and a wrong way. I mean I'm just, just uh, getting my bearings here, whatever. <laughs> you can sit down now. There were some people, and I think growing up, there was there was maybe a family that talked about their father and mother in school. And uh, that was far too, too formal. I think my mom, maybe, her dad was Pop. Does that sound right, uh, Esther, Grandpa? I think they called him Pop. I don't know what they call grandma, but anyway, whatever the situation is. Uh, Father, the the, the male parent, but it's a formal term. There's other more endearing terms maybe. What do you say, daddy? Okay. Uh, Poppy, do any of you call him poppy? Maybe that's a little bit more uh, Spanish, Latin, Uh, those kinds of things. I don't know. I understand that to call God Abba Father to be like us calling our father Daddy or or Poppy, maybe, if we were going to be in that that culture. There was a 17-year-old girl some years ago, a girl who I knew well, whose father was leaving on a ministry trip. She wrote a note and stuck it somewhere in his briefcase or luggage or something, I assume. The note went like this, Dear, and then it was bestest, in parentheses, daddy, in the whole world, exclamation point. I hope and pray that your trip goes well, period, exclamation point. We miss you already, but are also glad for this opportunity to share with the people in India and Nigeria. Thank you for being a godly leader in our home. We love you so much. We will pray for you. I have a father, daddy, poppy. We have a friend who never knew her father. She was raised by a single mother She didn't experience the love of an earthly father. I feel sorry for someone like that. She said something like this to my wife. Only God knows how much I wanted to be a daddy's girl. She never had that opportunity. That lady is a grown lady. She's had problems relating to men. I think partly because she never knew the love of an earthly father. You know, there are many people in America today growing up without the love of an earthly father. And I think our our culture is so broken, it is so sad, uh, the way that many people have normalized uh, these kinds of things. You know, I think of how marred that image of an earthly father, and how that can make it hard for people to accept the love of a heavenly father. You earthly fathers, how many of you are here tonight? You have the privilege of being image bearers of God. We can make it much easier for our children to trust someday in a Heavenly Father based on the Father heart they see that we are modeling a heart that's been changed by the Almighty God. Or we can make it harder by how we treat life, how we interact with life, those kinds of things. I think of the priest Eli. He was a man used of God. He was a man that was called of God or singled out by God, apparently, to be used. But he seemed to have a hard time in his heart to be able to restrain his sons. The people of God suffered tremendously by the evil that was practiced at the hands of Eli's sons on Eli's watch. Do any of you ever have a problem with anger or impatience? If her husband ever deals with that. Anyway, don't ask her. Uh, it's our anger and our impatience. It can mar the father image for our children. You know, some fathers, and, and my heart goes out to anyone who's in that situation that have left their wives, their families. There's others that are still at home. They're not functioning as godly fathers. My heart goes out to people like that. You know what? I've got good news for you. We don't have to worry about our heavenly father running off on the job. Earthly fathers disappoint and disappear, but our heavenly father is always there for us. He works all shifts. He's there weekends, holidays. A person who never knew the love of an earthly father, that doesn't have to be a fatal flaw. He can still be complete in God. God can take place of that earthly father that a person never knew. In Psalms uh, 68, I think it is, the psalmist speaks of God as a father to the fatherless. It's a beautiful concept. You know, I think we sometimes get an incomplete image of who God is. It's easy for us to see the judgment part of God. People feel that God is just waiting to pounce on them. If if we do something wrong, he'll 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 get you. He's he's there. He's trying to, to, to find you in a misstep and he'll get you. And there's a sense that we need to fear and reverence him for someday we must all appear before the judgment seat of of Christ we must all give an account for the life that we've lived you know those of us earthly poppies or daddies we don't spend a lot of time hiding behind the doors trying to catch our children doing something wrong we're wanting the best for our children we're wanting the best we're wanting to see them succeed in a similar way I think of our Heavenly Father standing by, watching, and wanting us to succeed. Verse 17, in that text we were looking at early, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. What a blessing. What beautiful uh, thoughts there. Our Father, moving on. Our Father is looking out for us. Jude. Jude. There's that beautiful acknowledgement, the praise of a wonderful God. Verse 24, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before his throne, before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and ever. Amen. Amen. Our precious Father is able to keep us from falling, and he's advocating for us. He's there. He's wanting to see us succeed, and what a blessing that is, to protect and to deliver us from evil. And on that final day, to present us faultless before his throne, before his presence. What a blessing. What a beautiful thing that is. You know, there's other religions that are rabid about protecting their religion, And their God, if someone missteps and says something bad about their religion, the sabers are rattling and they're talking about maybe holy war or those kinds of things um, against the infidels who dared to speak out against their religion. I've got good news for you. We don't have to defend our God. He's looking out for us. He's advocating for us. Praise his name. He's our Abba Father. What a blessing. Okay. Brothers and sisters are there to protect each other in times of stress, spiritual warfare, that kind of thing. Uh, We became involved in the life of a very troubled young woman. Uh, She was born into a very dysfunctional home environment. She was taken in by Christian parents or people, but her life since has been tremendously chaotic. Uh, My wife, for a time, she stayed at our place, or part of the time she stayed at our place, and my wife was involved where she was going for some uh, spiritual help, uh, whatever, counseling-type things. This lady had... uh, girl had deep emotional, mental, spiritual needs. In counseling sessions, different personalities seemed to present themselves. Some seemed direct, demonic forces. My wife, Judy, and another sister would sit in on some of the counseling sessions. They were the prayer warriors standing by. One day, especially as this girl was in a real deep struggle, Judy and her friends friend were lifting their hands they were singing the words of the song was by faith for my cleansing I see thy blood flow the young woman reacted violently she told them to get their hands down and she jerked their arms down different times she would reach out and rip the veils off their heads it felt like they were in a spiritual battle But a battle not against flesh and blood, but a battle against principalities, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Through much casting upon the Lord, many prayers, Christian counsel, she was able to come to a level of freedom and release. But brothers and sisters, in spiritual warfare, we need to stand with each other. Brothers and sisters are to keep each other accountable. How many of you remember sitting in church beside your older brother or sister when you were kind of misbehaving? Can you kind of uh, recollect that jerk on the ears or that sharp elbow in your ribs? You think back to those situations? How many of you remember being that older brother or sister that was trying to bring some uh, decency into the situation? My father was a preacher, and uh, all of his boys were not equally well behaved all the time during the services. It was not a good sign when the preaching all at once stopped and you assumed it had maybe stopped because of some activity over here toward the front among the young boys. You know, in the family of God, we have directives. We have things to do to keep each other accountable. We have things to do to help each other out. Uh, I think the other evening I talked about Galatians 6.1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourselves, lest ye also be tempted. I think of the landmark thing, the uh, Matthew 18. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he'll not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear the church, let him be into thee, etc., etc. How many of you understand basically what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 18? More or less? Okay, very well. Uh, how many of you practiced it in the last several months? Okay i to take over here for a little minute. <laughs> <coughs> you know, I understand the principle, but it's hard sometimes to put that principle into practice. Not so long ago, I came up to a, into a situation where I could have practiced it and didn't. A brother ended up hurt, and part of that hurt was due to the way I handled the situation. Approaching each other, speaking into each other's lives, should not be done in vengeance, in pride, or in anger. We're not to approach our brother while we're nurturing those attitudes. It's been said that hurt people hurt people, but healed people bring healing to people. Pray for that specific brother or sister until you're driven by love and a burden for healing and restoration. Moving on. We are brothers and sisters with Christ. Our family is in a transition. Uh, Our two daughters are married. We have three children. Uh, Our son Joseph was at Faith Builders for a couple of terms. He's back home now. But for a while, we were actually empty nesters. And so that was kind of a new experience for us. Uh, Joseph is back home now. He's actually helping carry my burdens while I'm in here with you, and so that's a blessing. You know, as God's children, we are brothers and sisters with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Those implications are tremendous. I don't think I had given that a lot of thought in the past, maybe. You know, our earthly sons and daughters have a love for each other that supersedes love for whoever else. There were pet names that one of our children had for her siblings. I'm not sure where the name Bean and Newtie came from. And although they had occasional spats, they loved each other fiercely. Our children are likely to defend each other, to protect each other from harm and danger. You know, in general, the younger ones in the family tend to hide behind the older ones. Some strange, there's a knock at the door late at night. You want to send big brother to the door. You can kind of picture if the little ones are there, or if there's an older sister kind of looking behind the skirts or, you know, hiding and, and kind of peeking around the corner, those kinds of things. What can we expect as Christ's brothers and sisters? We get to be a part of Jesus' own family. And that concept is kind of neat, I think. I can even imagine Jesus as our big brother sticking up for us. When the accuser of the accuser of the brethren attacks, our brother Jesus has already won the victory over him and we need to hide behind him and let him take care of Satan. Too often I think we cower under the pressures and the and the power of Satan. We we tremble, we we, we feel uh rendered powerless in his grip or in his stare, his focus. You know, I think the uh, lion, as they say, paralyzes their prey by by their tremendous roar. I don't know for sure if that's true or not. That makes a good illustration. Uh, <clears throat> Jesus won our victory on the cross of Calvary, and he's looking out for us. You know, Satan may knock on our door. He may come with his weapons of fear, discouragement, false accusations, temptations, forbidden fruit, dishonesty. When he comes, I have a suggestion. We need to just send Jesus to answer the door. You know, it can be helpful to pray even, Jesus, would you please go to the door? Satan is there again. He's bringing up things that you've taken care of long ago. He's tormenting me again, Jesus. I'm scared. I'm worried. But I know you won the victory. Would you just tell Satan that? I'm hiding behind you. Thank you, Jesus. You know, Jesus has already dealt with that accuser of the brethren. And if we're in his family and he's our big brother... Uh, he's looking out for us. In our own strength, we fail. In Christ, we triumph. We can be paralyzed by the presence of the enemy, or we can be secure with sending our triumphant brother to enter, to answer the door when Satan knocks. Next point. We are heirs together with Christ. Galatians 4, I'm going to quickly to read a few verses. Here, now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Verse 17 in Romans 8. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. How many of you have wealthy parents? Well, either you do or don't, you maybe don't want to admit it here in front of everybody else. But anyway... uh, By global village standards, I think probably all of us had wealthy parents. Uh, I didn't come from a wealthy family. Um, My parents are both gone now. There was a distribution of the estate. We received a modest inheritance. It was divided among 12 children, so obviously there wasn't going to be a lot, even if there was, would have been a significant amount. Uh, Judy's folks never had a great lot of money. Uh, Her father just passed now about a year ago, and I don't expect, expect there'll be much monetary inheritance from that side of the family ever, either. Have you ever dreamed that someday you would come into a large inheritance? You know, maybe that neighbor over there would Please to give me 160 acres of his farm ground that he won't be able to take with him where he's going or, you know, that kind of thing. Do You ever think of those kinds of things? There was a single lady in our church. This is, actually, it's a rabbit trail. Uh, but she was the last surviving one in her family, and they lived very, very spartan, very conservative, very careful. But over a period of time, with the appreciation of farmland and stuff like that, that was a pretty sizable estate. And uh, somebody had helped her decide with her lawyer. There were some people that would be beneficiaries. There was quite a few charities that would be beneficiaries. And some of those charities, I think, were just kind of blown away when they got their checks. I had the privilege of being the executor of that estate. And... uh, uh, That was an interesting, interesting experience. But back to our families. I'm not expecting a big uh, inheritance from Judy's side of the family. My father was called to the ministry of the gospel at a fairly young age. We grew up in an ethnic minority, conservative Anabaptists. But though we grew up in an ethnic minority, we grew up with, I think, a fairly large worldview. I think our concept of the world about was a fairly large world view. Uh, We were introduced to a large world, a world larger than ourselves and our community. I remember different guests that our parents hosted over the years. There was a tramp that showed up pulling his wagon down the road, and he set up camp out behind the West Chicken House. He was there for maybe a week. He gave his name as John Smee, and he did a little work there for us, and it was kind of old school. And us children were kind of you know imagining what kind of a fugitive this might have been or whatever. And uh, there was a bit of an emotional uh, crisis about the time he was getting ready to leave, but God protected us, and he ended up moving on. There was Tom Storzbach, the hippie guy that was kind of in the... Jesus movement in the early 70s probably that ran into my dad or into our family in Colorado. and He ended up coming to our place and staying a while. There was a Bob Couch, troubled man. He was also from Colorado. His marriage had fallen apart. He had two big German Shepherd dogs and an old Chevy pickup with a topper on the back. He came and stayed for a while. I remember foreign people that visited in our home. So Ram Samir Harry, that came from India. And then from Andhra Pradesh, there was this uh, lady by the name of Jaya Prada. It's interesting, at that time, I never knew that I would someday be involved in a ministry in India, but I think some of those things probably helped to open our eyes to a world that was bigger than the conservative Anabaptist community there in Mino County, Kansas. My mother was a gracious hostess, and she had a lot to be responsible for with a family that ended up with 12 children, and uh, and uh, hosting was something that, it, it took some effort to make those things happen. Judy's family, some of you are familiar with that story, uh, I think Delvin's father was significantly uh, instrumental. In Sanford, finding peace with God, he was converted after a fairly stormy youth. He strongly felt God's call on his life. In time, he was called into the ministry. He traveled a lot in evangelistic work. While still in his thirties, Sanford took his wife and family of nine children and moved to a foreign country in the interest of extending God's family in another land. I don't expect a large inheritance there either. The children have been significantly providing for their support for a number of years. You know, an earthly inheritance is not really a lasting thing either. Earthly inheritance can take wings at the hands of people who never worked to earn that windfall. And even if a person was very careful and could save all his inheritance until he died, he still couldn't take it with him when he dies. Jesus talks about a different kind of inheritance. A different type of investment, I'll say, that will actually be ours for all of eternity. Matthew 6, verse 19 Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Being joint heirs together with Jesus Christ allows us to have our investments in heaven that will last for all of eternity. So if you don't expect a large inheritance here, take heart. There's an investment plan where you can be joint heirs with the King of Kings and Lord of lords. And where those investments continue more than 20 or 30 years, they continue to mature through all the ceaseless ages of eternity, joint heirs with Christ. What a blessing. In conclusion, a few questions. Where are you in God's family this evening? Have you entered in by the new birth? Have we accepted Christ's work in the Father's love? Have we taken on our Father's characteristics? Is our Father a personal Abba Father, a Daddy, a Poppy Father? Are we accountable to our brothers and they to us? Are we joining hands with them against the enemy of our souls? Are you looking forward to sharing an eternal inheritance with Jesus Christ? What a blessing. Tonight, for our benediction, let's do something a little different. Let's all stand and pray or sing a little bit reverently, if you please. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God.